Our next guest is David Chrisley. He is an affirmative action attorney. He's labor and employment. He has expertise in this area. He has created thousands of affirmative actions plans. He, um, along with having a degree, he has a master's degree in human resources and industrial relations. He is uh, a shareholder with Littler Mendelssohn in Chicago. And we're going to be talking about the affirmative action case with him. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Karen. Sure. It's wonderful that you're here on this rainy day. So let's talk about this affirmative action case. I think people have kind of understand the, the whole situation. There's a challenge to affirmative action. Tell us what the court did and what the court said about the issue of affirmative action. Well, this is a major blow uh, for affirmative action as it exists in college and universities. Um it essentially applied a uh, the, the the standard of strict scrutiny um, that applies to the Fourteenth uh, Amendment Equal Protection Clause to hold that uh, racial preferences in college admissions uh, were effectively uh, discrimination in and of themselves. That they um, that they were uh, we should be facing. We should be applying a race-neutral or colorblind uh, system in, in colleges and universities, uh, except for within a few really narrow um, exceptions, and, um, and really dealt a, a blow in this particular case to two, uh, uh, two universities, the University of North Carolina and Harvard, but this, uh, this, this decision will reverberate uh, throughout uh, most colleges and universities. Now, this case had to do with racial issues, but do you think that this is going to apply to gender, national origin? So, so for instance, if a school says, I like to get, we like to get students from all over the world, we like to get students from Australia and China and New Zealand and wherever, is that something that now you think this case will say, no, you can't consider national origin when you admit students? Well, it's interesting. This case is very specifically about race. Um, and the reason that there are different um, analyses tied to the other kinds of classes that you described um, is that there, uh, you know, the Supreme Court has just determined that those classes, let's take gender, for example, uh, are analyzed not based on this strict scrutiny uh, analysis that we use for race under the 14th Amendment, but rather intermediate scrutiny, um, which means it's a little less of a hurdle to justify. Practically, though, um, a lot of these considerations, uh, well, let's start with gender, um, you know, just, just really aren't used, haven't been a focus, uh, so haven't really um, uh, anymore, I want to say. Uh, by the time I was in law school, uh, there were more women than men, and I think those uh, statistics have uh, continued to hold out. Uh, so, so by that point and by this point, it, it just it hasn't been much of a, of a hot issue. And so, the the you know, and in the past, you know, the court has justified affirmative action by basically saying that there's been systemic discrimination from slavery to Jim Crow laws to accommodation laws. Um, and people have been discriminated against, and now we need to rectify it by giving this kind of leg up. So Sandra Day O'Connor, when she, when she upheld affirmative action many years ago, did kind of predict that this would have a shelf life, and it sort of came true. Is, what do you think of the court saying, hey, you guys, we tried it, and now it's over, and we, we have to now be race neutral? 
Well, that is an interesting feature of these uh, this line of cases, is you're right. Back um, when these cases were decided involving the University of Michigan, you had Grutter and Grotz. Um, we were talking about and the court uh, in, in the uh, in, in one of the opinions was was uh, was saying that within 25 years, um, we expect the court saying they expect um, that this kind of affirmative action won't be necessary anymore. Um, we're nearing that 25 year point, and one of the uh, points that the majority was making in that regard was there's still no end in sight. Um, that you know neither of the uh, respondents before them, Harvard or UNC, uh, you know, had had named any kind of end date uh, or saw one on the horizon, which is part of the reason uh, that these programs were invalidated. You know, I, I was thinking about this and, and arguing with with anyone who would listen to me, and I, I was thinking about affirmative action, you know, and getting into college, and uh, I, I was thinking there's two parts to this. One is, uh, one is. You know, you want you want your fair chance. If you're black, white, male, female, whatever, you want your fair chance. You want the you know meritocracy. You want the person with the best grades, the person with with uh, you know the best qualifications to get in, and you don't want someone to give in priority based on something that you have no control over. On the other hand, I have been in law school. I have taught in law school, and I when I have people around me, whether they're students or they were co you know you know they were co um, you know co students, the people coming from different walks of life added so much to my education. I had a death penalty course I was teaching, and I was talking about certain crime issues, and I had several African American students in my class who totally disagreed with me because they were subjected to murders in their family. They had, they grew up with crime in their neighborhood that I never knew about, that I never heard about, and, and nor did, did the white kids in the class. So they added an element to something just be, by just the, the richness of their experience. So again, affirmative action has more to do, has can have as much to do with enriching that school experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, that was my experience, too, um, was that that kind of and, and it's been my experience professionally because that sort of diversity um, helps um, in, in, in all kinds of ways. What the majority uh, of the court here and um, the petitioners, uh, you know, the SFF, the Students for uh, Fairness in Admissions, uh, were arguing was that essentially those are those benefits are too nebulous aren't subjective in uh aren't uh easily subjected to kind of a metric uh to be measured and that was one of the reasons uh the court found that that justification for this did not meet the uh the test of strict scrutiny was because that is just too i guess nebulous uh in the court's determination uh to be a uh um, uh, to to be um, to, to prevail. Yeah, and I mean, how, how would you ever, how would you ever calculate that? I mean, you know, like a, just a survey at the end of your 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 degree saying were you enriched by having people of different walks of life? I mean, I I don't know how you quantify that, but um, but I it's a real thing. I I, I believe it's a real thing. Um, when we come back, I want to discuss this more. I want to talk more about affirmative action and diversity programs in in employment. Is this is this now going to be a thing of the past? We're talking to David Chrislabe. He is an attorney with Littler Mendelssohn.
Wisconsin and Chicago. He practices in the area of labor employment and we'll be back in a minute on WGN. We're going to get to the case of the postal worker who said, I don't want to work on Sundays because it violates my religious beliefs. We're here with David Chrislieb. He's We're talking about, uh, we're going to finish up on this affirmative action uh, situation. Um, so the carve out, the Supreme Court had a carve out for students to talk about their race in certain situations and it would be allowable. Can you tell us in the best way you can what students can and cannot do, what schools can and cannot do when it comes to race? Yeah, I think there are two kind of major um, exceptions, if you will, or um, loopholes, whatever you want to call them, to the to the general rule here announced by the court. Um, one is really explicitly applied to military academy, um, where you see that the court clearly has a different view um, of the expertise of the folks who run our military academies as compared to those who run our universities as far as how to weigh diversity in, the, in, in, in those admissions processes. The court kind of really explicitly, in a footnote, but still explicitly says that those military uh, academies are not um, at issue in the case. That that strikes me as bizarre. Does that kind of strike you as strange? Like, they just carved that out? Like, where where did they get that? That military academies can consider race, but UCLA can't? I I, I don't... It's almost like they didn't... I mean, they didn't go that far, but they did go... They did make... They did point out, look, we don't have a, a military academy before us, and we don't see this decision as as applicable, um, which to me, you know, obviously leaves that for uh, a future case. Sure. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And so the other carve out. The other carve out I think there is is, is that they, there was an interesting point in oral argument in this case where um, uh, counsel for the SSFA was asked, well, what if someone put in their essay that they had overcome? Um, some sort of adversity by virtue of their of their race. If they had been discriminated against and wanted to write about that in a college essay, couldn't a university take that into account? And the counsel for the SSSA said, yes, uh, they could take that into account. I think the court ran with that, uh, or Justice Roberts ran with that in, in his opinion, where he wrote, he almost kind of wrote the questions out. And I could see a university going forward asking questions like, how has your culture or heritage impacted your character, made you a better leader, made you more resilient, made you more focused on your goal, etc.? Or talk about a time you faced or fought discrimination, what impact did that have on you? Now, you can't use that as a pretext to look at race, but these are the kinds of things that universities are, are, are trying to suss out about their candidates um, vis-a-vis their character. And I think to the extent race comes up in those contexts, uh, the Supreme Court has basically said that's fine. Interesting. And so, do you, just briefly, how do you think schools are going to get around some of these? I mean, I I, I have a couple notes here for like ge- geographical. Can they say we want to bring people in from different uh, areas in the country? Can we look at income? Can we look at what schools they went to? Say if they were disadvantaged, would those be appropriate? Even though they're not, you know, because they're not race based, they may result in more minorities uh, coming to uh, the school, but they aren't specifically race based. Yeah, I think that's what we're likely to see is there's going to be a lot more focus on a those the types of questions I just you know threw out as as potential essays, and then also you're right you know focus on other kind of 
demographic or socioeconomic or geographic qualities that are not race um, in order to increase diversity in, in that regard. You know, you put together affirmative action programs uh, for employers. And, you know, diversity has been deemed pretty universally to be a really good thing in the workplace. Am I understating that? There, I, 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 you're not understating it, uh, but I think you're stating it. I, I think the the weight of the evidence, uh, whether you look at the um, you know the business reviews to Forbes to Fortune, they all point to uh, value to the bottom line from diversity. So if if we move this to the employment realm, and and I guess I'm thinking that if the Supreme Court says we have to be race neutral when it comes to college admission because the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause says we can't look at race, why wouldn't they say that in the employment realm? Would that would that be the same ruling, do you think, if this were to come to the court on the issue of can an employer consider race? Yes, it would. I, to be clear, there are major there are some major differences between affirmative action and higher education and the way affirmative action is done in employment. Uh, I think that's a kind of a common uh, misconception. That and what, what employers need to understand is that the Supreme Court is that has never okayed making race based decisions in employment um, based on interests in say workforce diversity. It, it remains the rule in employment that you can't take race into account unless you're filling some really um, strict circumstances uh, that were decided. Uh, in the 1970s by the Supreme Court, that you're basically, you are uh, remedying specific past discrimination, um, that it's narrowly tailored, and that you have a strong basis and evidence that your action is is remedying that discrimination. Now, that's a super high bar. Uh, in 20 years, I haven't come across that situation. So what what we're looking at is basically a rule that says, in all decisions, you need to be making a, a merit-based decision that doesn't have anything to do with race. Instead, what affirmative action is in employment tends to be more along the lines of increasing opportunity by widening your outreach. So we're hiring the most we're hiring the most qualified person every time. We're making the decision for the most qualified person every time, regardless of race. But we're expanding our view of uh, where we should be looking for applicants. We're making it more attractive for minority or female applicants or what have you, uh, whatever we think we uh, may have an imbalance against, uh, into our organizations. And then by making those good decisions going forward, we expect that that diversity will, will work its way up, if that makes sense. What, what, that's interesting, because uh, I, I would have I said that they would extend that into the employment realm, but I see what you're saying. It's about expanding the search and hiring the best coffee. Yeah, right. Yeah. What yeah. about, like, you know, minority uh, business owners contracting, say, with the government? So why should a minority uh, business uh, now, now under the idea that we have to 14th Amendment affirmative action, would it apply in that realm? Is, or is there the same reason that you are saying for, uh, for employment situations? I think it's. I think that one is um, similar and and is is actually uh, analyzed a lot the same way that the Fourteenth Amendment uh, issues are with with equal protection in these in these college cases. Um, again, subject to strict scrutiny, has to have to be narrowly tailored, etc. Um, I, I, they do follow um, 
the same kind of uh, legal analysis. And therefore, I think this case is probably very instructive on this program. We may be seeing litigation about that. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about the U.S. Postal Service case, but let's see if we can breeze through it. This is a case where uh, a worker said his religious beliefs prohibited him from working on Sunday. The Postal Service did not accommodate him, and he quit. And the Supreme Court ruled that the employer here had, uh, was wrong in not accommodating him. Can we? Can you talk a little bit about where that law clashes here. We have the right to believe, we have the right to exercise our our freedom of religion, but the employer also has a right to make rules in the workplace. And how do those collide and how did the court decide this? Well, it collided here when a a postman uh, couldn't carry mail on Sundays because of his religious convictions uh, and basically was was located at a post office that was apparently very small. They had trouble covering his Sundays and ultimately uh, he, he left left the workplace over it. And what the court said was it changed the standard for what kind of re- religious requests need to be accommodated in the workplace. His request was obviously to have Sundays off. Um, and, and what the court said was that this old standard, more than de minimis. So it used to be if, if the burden on the employer was, was not more than de minimis, they had to uh, give the accommodation, and they changed that to where now you have to give the accommodation unless the burden would be undue, excessive, or unjustifiable. Um, and went on to say it, that means that it would be a substantial increased cost in relation to the conduct of the business. So what the court did was remand the case with those instructions to the lower court to say, okay, apply those standards uh, with regard to this postman and let us, you know, and then make that decision based on whether or not it was truly an undue hardship uh, to have him not working Sunday. Do you think this is going to lead to employees saying, okay, well, I, 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 I'm a Wiccan and I don't believe, I, I believe I can, I'm making this up, smoke pot in the workplace. And if I don't get to do that, that's against my religious beliefs. Just well, there, were, there were cases like that. I, <laughs> I remember reading those cases in constitutional law I when I was in undergrad. I think I did. Uh, come yeah, up there with were it. there were peyote cases mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, there were lots and lots of that kind of uh, religious requests. I can tell you, I have not seen a lot of religious accommodation requests um, in twenty years. Uh, but the, the, no doubt, I think this case could mean more of them. And it could mean, could certainly mean uh, that they need to be taken a lot more seriously when they come. Interesting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, David Chrisley. He is with the Law Office of Littler and Mendelssohn in Chicago, where he concentrates his practice in labor and employment. If someone were to want to contact you, how would they do that? Um, you can reach my email at d chrislieb that's c h r i s t l i e b as in boy at littler l i t t l e r dot com. And his name will be on the podcasted segment on the WGN website under the Karen Conti Show. David, enjoy your Fourth of July weekend, and hopefully, it's a long one for you. Take care. You too, Karen. Have a good one. Bye. All right.